0: Gotcha. There we go. No, no problem. Civil disobedience in light of the Bible. Civil disobedience in light of the Bible. Now, the sermon that I'm about to preach right now is probably the most important sermon right now. At this given time, current day, the events that are going on, everything that's happening right now, I believe. It is the most important sermon. If I had to select or choose a sermon that every pastor stood up and preached this morning to their congregation, they need to preach the sermon that I'm about to preach to you right now. The title, as I said, is Civil Disobedience in Light of the Bible. What I'm going to be doing right now is I'm going to be going through the Bible, and I'm going to be showing you the Bible's teachings on the subject of Civil disobedience. Now, what is civil disobedience? I'm just going to give you a layman's definition, just in my own words of what civil disobedience is. Civil is referring to a civilization. It's referring to your society, and all civilizations have laws, right? So that's what that is referring to. It's referring to the government of a civilization. Civil disobedience is where, one, a citizen is disobeying the laws of his civilization. It's when they are disobeying the laws of your local government. If someone is, you know, being disobedient, you know, uh, civilly disobedient, they are being disobedient to their local laws, to their local government. There are many Christians, there are many pastors, there are many spiritual leaders that would believe and teach and, and would even stand up and preach behind their pulpits that there is never a time to disobey your local government. I've heard this many times, that there is never a time, it is never accept, acceptable, no matter where you live, to disobey your local government. So this morning, I'm going to be answering a few different questions when it comes to civil disobedience. Number one, I'm going to be answering, is there ever a time to disobey your local government or any government by, for that means? Number two, I'm going to be answering, does God approve of civil disobedience ever? Is there ever a time where God approves of civil disobedience? Number three, when should we disobey government? When is the appropriate time? When is it right and acceptable to disobey government? And then number four, how should we disobey government? How should we disobey government? Now we're in Acts chapter number five. We're going to get to there eventually. I want you to turn back with me to Acts chapter number four. Acts chapter number four. Now Acts chapter number three is where it, is really where the context begins of Acts chapter number four. It begins in Acts chapter number three, and you're probably familiar with the story. It's very famous. It's where Peter and John, they go up to the temple to pray. right? It's the hour of prayer, that's where we get that hymn from. They go up there, and there's a man that is lame of his feet. And he is, he, is, he is sitting down, of course, at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. And he's asking for alms. And they end up, uh, uh, Peter, that is specifically, ends up uh, uh, giving uh, uh, miraculously allowing this man to be able to walk again through the power of Jesus. You know, he performs this miracle. It, the Bible says that his feet and his ankles receive strength. So he stands up and this man is leaping for joy. And it it causes a lot of attention to be brought over there. You know, so you know many of the people that are in the temple come over, including the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all of these other people that are, would be considered leaders of that day. They come over, and then at that point, Peter stands up, and he begins to preach to the Jews. There's a very famous sermon, and I'm sure you remember excerpts from that, Uh, verses that are quoted often, where he begins to preach to the Jews. And he's preaching to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And more specifically, because they had already rejected the gospel and they had already rejected Jesus, he's preaching to them that they need to repent and believe on Jesus Christ. And it's very much a rebuke to the Jews. He's correcting them for what they had done. And he points that out. Here in Acts chapter number four is the response of those leaders. And what we have, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but Acts chapter number four, beginning in verse number one in this chapter is the beginning of Christian persecution. It never really took place prior to this. It was an isolated event that happened with Jesus. With Jesus, they just hated that man, Jesus. And then of course you have, you know, those that follow Jesus, his disciples and his apostles, they were not persecuted immediately thereafter. After they crucified Jesus, they weren't like, okay, now let's go get his disciples. At that point, they just had beef with Jesus. They put him to death. And then, at, at right now in Acts chapter 3, we see them preaching about Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse number 1, is the beginning, really the true beginning of Christian persecution. The official start of that taking place. I want you to look with me in Acts chapter number 4, verse number 1. The Bible says this. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. "...being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about five thousand. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes, and Annas the high priest... And Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name." And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Verse 21. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. Now, obviously, like I said, Acts chapter number four, verse number one, this is the beginning of the persecution of Christians. That's what's taking place in this chapter. This is the very first time that you see just Christianity being oppressed, if you will, or Persecuted. I want you to look with me at a couple things I want to highlight. First, I want to point out to you in verse number eight it says, Then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. So, what we're about to read about is not just Peter's opinion. This is very important to know because people will just say, Well, this is just how they responded. This is just men and their words and their opinions and their decisions that they made. Now, I want you to notice that Peter is filled with the Holy Ghost when he says what he says in this chapter. Not only that, I want you to notice who he's speaking to. Notice what it says. Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. Who's he talking to? He's speaking to the rulers of the people. He's speaking to the rulers or the authorities or the officers of their local government. So those are two very important things to understand. Now, what are they commanding them? What are the rulers commanding Peter? What are they trying to tell them and to threaten them? They're telling them that they're not allowed to preach the gospel. In simple terms, that's what they're telling them. They're not allowed to speak the name of Jesus. They're not allowed to go, to go about and preach the name of Jesus in the gospel. Look, at me, look with me at verse number 17. It says, but that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly, that's like strictly, threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. Now, Mark chapter number 16, verse number 15 is the Lord Jesus Christ before he ascended into heaven, speaking to his disciples. And he said this, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's considered the great commission. This was the last commandment that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to his apostles. Now, what the apostles and the disciples are doing right now is they are being obedient unto the Lord Jesus Christ's command. Under the Lord Jesus Christ's command. They're going about and they are preaching the gospel because God or Jesus had commanded them to do so. And what we see here is they go out and they are grabbed up. You know, they're taken into custody and then they are threatened. And now they're given another commandment by someone else. And what is it? You're not allowed to preach in his name. You're not allowed to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Look at actually what they say to them. The commandment that's given to them from man. Look at what it says in verse number 18. And they called them, watch this, and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. So right now we have a conflict. We have the Lord Jesus Christ's command to the apostles that said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But right now we have man's words, we have the local government who have now stepped in and they've said, I don't want you going out and preaching to every creature. You're not allowed. And I'm commanding you that you're not allowed. So there's a conflict between these two commands, isn't there? There's a conflict between the command from the local government, from man and from God. Look at how the apostles respond. And I want to remind you that he's filled with the Holy Ghost right now. Look at how the apostles respond. It says this, verse 19, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. So he's saying, you know, you know, I want you to tell me whether or not it's better for me to listen to you than to God. So what's he referring to? He's referring to the fact that he's been commanded by God to do what he's doing. He's saying, should I listen to your commandment or should I listen to God's commandment? You tell me. So it's obviously a hypothetical question. If man tells you to go against God's command, what should you do? You go with God's commandment. Now, does it matter you know, what position in government? Does it matter whether it's a, you know your landlord, maybe where you rent? Does it matter whether it's your HOA? Does it matter whether it's I, I, at any point of any sort of rulership or lordship, your local government, your federal government, your state government? Of course not. The question he's asking is is, do you think that I should go with your command or listen to you as opposed to God's commandment? Judge ye. And then he answers, you know, further in verse 20, he says, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So he's saying, I have to go forth and preach the gospel. He's just telling, him, hey, we're going to go out and we're going to preach the gospel in other ways, right? We're going to go out and we're going to go, you know, door to door. We're going to go out and we're going to go to the temple And preach the word of God, even if you tell me not to. I want you to look down further, skip down to the end of the chapter. Let's begin in verse 28. It says this This is their prayer. This is when, actually, let's look at verse 23. We'll get the context. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. They're all in agreement and said, Lord, Thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. He's praying to the Lord. Skip down now to verse 28. I want you to notice what they say in this prayer. This is Peter. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. So look down and see their threatenings. Hear their threatenings. Watch this. "...and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word." So what took place there was they were arrested for preaching the gospel. They were arrested for going out and fulfilling Christ's command. They're threatened again. They're taken and they're threatened. And the commandment that they're given now for man is you're not allowed to preach in this name anymore. We're going to let you go. They end up beating them and letting them go. But they command them, you're not allowed to preach in the name of Jesus Christ anymore." Then they go back and it says that they inform their company. They inform all of the other apostles, all of the, the local church. And they say, hey, this is what happened. You know what they do is they pray to God. They pray to the Lord. And they, they, when they pray to God, they say, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings. I want you to look down and see how they've threatened us and what they've threatened us about. And then furthermore, they say this, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness, watch this, they may speak thy word. Now let me ask you this question. What were they commanded not to do? They were commanded not to speak God's word. They were commanded not to preach in the name of Jesus. So now the apostles are praying to the Lord and saying, hey, give us boldness so that we can continue to preach your word in spite of them telling me that I shouldn't any longer, in spite of their commandment saying that, hey, don't speak or preach in the name of Jesus. We need boldness now. Why? Why? Because as I spoke about a couple of weeks ago, you're going to be fearful. You're going to be afraid when someone, you know, uh, 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 is, is maybe commanding you not to do something. And then there's a punishment. Because fear comes about when you're worried about something. When there's, you know, uh, uh, when, you're, when you're scared about something. Obviously, that's why you would be fearful. That's why they're fearful in this particular situation is because they've been threatened. And there could be a consequence if they go against it. So he's saying, hey, give us boldness. Why? Because there's a fear there. Grant us boldness so that we can do what? So that we can preach in your name anyways. Why? Because they said, hey, don't do it. Or there's going to be further consequences. Now let's see what, how God feels about it. Obviously, we already saw that Peter was preaching, or he was, when he was preaching or speaking earlier to the Jews and the Sadducees, he was doing so while being filled with the Holy Ghost. But I want you to look at verse number 31. It says this, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. Now watch this. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And it says this, and they spake the word of God with boldness. You know what just happened? You just saw God's stamp of approval on what they had just prayed for. They had just prayed to God and they said, hey, give us boldness so that we can go back out and preach anyways, even though they had commanded us not to. Give us boldness and and, and courage so that we can go out and preach even though they had commanded us not to preach in your name. You know what God did? He answered their prayer. He gave them the Holy Spirit and he gave them boldness. Why? What did they pray for? Boldness so that they could go out and do what? And let's just, we can define this in many terms. You can use different types of words. But what they're praying to do right now is to have boldness for what? It would be civil disobedience, wouldn't it? That's, that's exactly what's going on. What is the definition of civil disobedience? It is to disobey your local man, you know, man-made government, if you will, right? And, and government is a legitimate thing, and don't get me wrong. There should be governments, right? But it, it, civil disobedience is when you disobey your government. It's when you disobey the authorities. And right now, the authorities or the government has passed a law or given a commandment to not preach in the name of Jesus. And they prayed and they said, give us boldness so that we can do it anyways. Amen. Give us boldness so that we can preach anyways, Obviously, because there's the fear of the consequences that could come with that. You know what God said? Here's boldness. What does that mean? Go, go out and preach anyways. He's putting his stamp of approval on their prayer, which would be what? Civil disobedience. So right here we see the apostles. We see the apostles, you know, uh, uh, praying for boldness to disobey their local government. And how does God feel about it? Just right here in the very beginning. God approves of it. Why? Now, in what cases is this all right? It's okay because they have to disobey their local government in order to obey the Lord or in order to obey God. I want you to flip over with me to Acts. Uh, Look at Acts chapter number five. I want you to look at verse number 12. Acts chapter number five, verse number 12. The Bible says this, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And the believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. Skip down to verse number 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all that and all they that were with them, with him, I'm sorry, which which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. So notice they go out and they did exactly what they said they were going to do. They were given the Holy Spirit. They were given boldness to go out and to do what? To preach the gospel. They go out and they preach the gospel and what happens? The high priest hears about it again. The high priest ends up coming with all of his minions. They end up arresting the, uh, the apostles and they took them and they put them into prison because they had warned them that they were going to punish them if they broke their commandment. When they put them into prison, I want you to notice it's very interesting. It says, verse 18, and they and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But look at verse 19. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, go stand and speak in the temple to the people, all the words of this life. So even when they went back out and they disobeyed their local government, they disobeyed the commandment that their rulers had given to them, they ended up being arrested. And you know what happened? God came and God help them to escape from prison. God came, you know what God did? God, you could say jail broke them. God came out and he broke them out of jail. Literally. It says that the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors. So they've been arrested for disobeying and they did legitimately disobey the high priest. They did legitimately disobey their rulers commands. They're put into the prison and they're in shackles. You know what God does? God sends an angel to open the prison doors. God sends an angel to go down and to jailbreak them. That's exactly what's going on here. Not only that, it says that he, they, he brought them forth. Look, it says, and opened the prison doors and brought them forth. So he brought them. God's angel led them out of the prison after they had been arrested. Brought them forth and he said, now look what he's, he's telling them now. Now God's commanding them again. <clears throat> it says, brought them forth and said, go, stand and speak in the temple to the people, all the words of this life. you know what God's saying? Go and preach anyways. I know you've been arrested. I know that they've taken you and put you in prison for, for keeping my commandment. And, that I know, and obviously, God is well aware. He's not ignorant that they've been you know, uh, 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 commanded not to preach the gospel. He, God's well aware of all that. And you know what he says? Go back to the temple anyways. Go back to the temple and preach again. Breaks them out of prison and commands them again to do what? To disobey their local government. That's what's going on. He's commanding them to go and to preach anyways. Do you know where they were the first time when the Sadducees came and got them? The temple. That's where they were That's where they were located. They were standing in the temple. And he said, go back to the temple. Go back to the temple and preach again. I want you to go over to Acts chapter number 12. Acts chapter number 12. I'm going to read you here. I'm going to finish reading uh, from Acts chapter number 5. So <clears throat> it says, Verse 21, And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keeper standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within." Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. And when they brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest Asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring bring this man's blood upon us. So he's basically just pointing out the fact that you have, you have just uh, blatantly defied my commandment. I told you not to go out there. We commanded you not to go out there and to preach in his name. And you're going out there and you're doing exactly what we told you not to do. Then verse number 29, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. We ought to obey God rather than men. So he brings up the fact that, hey, there's a conflict here. I know what you commanded me. I know that you've told me not to preach into his name, but you know what? God commanded me to preach in his name. God told me to preach the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So if I have a conflict here between man's law and God's law, I ought to obey God rather than man. And this is what the apostles believed. This is what the apostles practiced. But not only that, this was not only the apostles' opinion. We see God himself commanding them, sending them forth. They're arrested. You know what God does? God comes out and jailbreaks them and says, go preach again. What is he compelling them or provoking them to do? He is, God is putting his stamp uh, stamp of approval on their civil disobedience. God is putting his stamp of approval on them going out and defying the local laws. Why? Because the local laws or man's laws defies God's law. You know what God wants you to do? He wants you to keep his laws anyways. And what we see here is, you know, Peter being filled with the Holy Ghost every time he speaks to them. He's preaching the gospel. This is the exact same statement that he made the last time when he was filled with the Holy Ghost. He said, you know, would it be better, you know, you judge. Would it be better for me to obey you or God? The obvious answer is God. You know what he's saying here? The same thing. We ought to obey God rather than men. This is a Christian attitude. And a lot of Christians have have. You know, went astray on this. A lot of Christians have bought into. You know, what it comes from is this this nationalist type of attitude, where everybody is just so obsessed with their country. They get this 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 patriotism, where they love their country more than they love the Bible. They're they're you know a United States American citizen. They're an American before they're a Christian. I'm a Christian before I'm anything. You know, I'm God's child before I'm a child of America or whatever else. You know, I am a Christian and if I have to choose between the two, I choose to be a Christian. If I have to choose to obey, you know, the laws of America or the laws of any country for that matter, I'm going to obey the laws of God or the laws of, of the Lord. I want you to look over at Acts chapter number 12 because this is not the only time that this happens where God comes out and God jailbreaks somebody. God, you know, he, he helps somebody escape from jail because you know why? Because they were put there by you know, because they were put there because they were obeying God and disobeying their local government. Look at Acts chapter number 12. Uh, look at Acts chapter number 12. We'll begin reading, I guess, in verse number 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James the brother of John with the sword. And because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, that means he took him into custody, he put him in prison and delivered him to four Caternians of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. Uh, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. So he's, he's very secure is the point. Look at verse 7. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side, and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. Watch this. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself. And bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, cast thy garment about thee and follow me. So he said, hey, get ready. And then just follow me. Do you know what's happening? The angel came and he broke off his chains and his feathers. His fetters. I said feathers. His fetters. He loosed his chains from off of him. They fall down. He smites him right? And they fall down. And then he tells him, hey, get your sandals. Get your, get your belt on. Gird your loins up, Right? you know, gird up and, and put your sandals on. And then he says, stand up and put your garment on, maybe like a jacket that he's putting on. And he says, and follow me. You know what he's going to do? He's going to help him escape prison again. Look at what it says. Verse nine. And he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. So, you know, he's probably half asleep right now. He's trying to figure out what's actually going on. He's, he's wondering whether this is actually a vision, if it's like a dream or something. Uh, But obviously, we know that this truly took place. Look at verse 10. When they were past the first and the second ward, these are different portions of the prison, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened them of his own accord, and they went out. So obviously, the angel, or really the power of God, God, while they're walking up, God just has the, the, the gate just swing open. this is a locked gate, I'm sure a very secure gate. And while they're just walking, you know, they pass the first ward wherever they keep the first set of prisoners. They probably have them divided up, you know, maybe more violent prisoners in one and less violent in the other. And they get past the first ward, then they go to the second ward. And then they're walking to the actual main gate to get them out of prison. And God just has the, the, the prison gates just swing open of its own accord. And you know what they do? They just walk right on out. After they had done what? Now, let me ask you a question just honestly and sincerely. As clear as day, what did they do to be put into prison? What was the purpose that they were put into prison the, the first time? Why were they put into prison here? Because they had disobeyed their local government. Because they were going about and, you know, by, by their local government's, you know, uh, uh, commandments and laws, they were causing uproar. They, you know, and, and they really weren't. What they were doing is just converting people to Christianity. They were turning people from their local rulers is what they were doing. You know, the local rulers, they wanted to have that power of religion and things like that. And oftentimes that's how, you know, religious leaders are, you know, like like the Pope, for example. And uh, they, at this point, you know what they end up doing? They end up breaking out of jail after they had been, you know, taken into captive and apprehended. God ends up breaking them out of jail. Do you know what we have? We have God approving of civil disobedience. There's no way around it. Multiple examples, and this is the New Testament. Let's go and look at a couple of examples in the Old Testament. I want to just show you this is God's character. That God, when, when there's this dichotomy between obeying God's laws or man's laws, God wants us to obey his laws and to disobey man's law. I want you to go to Daniel, the book of Daniel. I'm going to give you a few examples here, though, Uh, quite a few examples of people disobeying in the Old Testament. The Bible's filled with them. And if you were to just sit down, I'm sure you would remember, you know, uh, and be able to recall quite a few that I'm not even going to mention. I'll give you one example. The midwives, I actually mentioned this, this is why it was fresh in my mind, I mentioned this last week, the midwives disobeyed Pharaoh. It says in Exodus 117, but the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. They, they disobeyed. They were, they, that was civil disobedience that they were engaging in. They disobeyed, you know, and that's a monarchy. They were disobeying the king, which is the decree, which is, you know, much higher than, you know, any form of government. Obviously this one man has all power. It says this in verse 21, because they had disobeyed, it says, And it came to pass because the midwives feared God that he made them houses. So what did he end up doing? What did God do for them? Because they had disobeyed their local government in this case, in order to obey God. Now, of course, it's not okay just to disobey. We don't believe in anarchy. You don't just go around just disobeying your local government for any reason. But if you have to disobey your local government. In order to be obedient to the Lord, you do so every single time, no exceptions. Uh, another example is in that exact same story, where Moses' parents are disobedient to their local government by hiding their child. You know what they do? Is they they you know they they kind of smuggle him and they they uh, they send him off instead of giving him over to be slain. Hebrews eleven twenty three says, by faith Moses. When he was born, was hid three months of his parents. Watch this, because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. I want you to notice that his parents are being praised by God in Hebrews chapter number eleven for doing what? For not obeying the king's commandment. It says in this case they weren't afraid of the king's commandment. You know why? Because they feared God more. Because they were more afraid to disobey the Lord than they were to disobey uh, their local government. I want you to look with me. We're in Daniel there. Look at Daniel. Uh, we'll first go to Daniel 3. Daniel chapter number 3. We'll see a few examples of this. Daniel chapter number 3. Look at verse number 1. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was three score cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, and the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the, and captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together under the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then an herald cried aloud To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore at that time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music... All the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to, to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image." And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made? Well, but if ye worship not, Ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us "...from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up." Now you probably know the end of the story, you know, they end up, you know, standing their ground, they're taken by, you know, uh, uh, the, the servants of the king, and they're thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. I want you to notice that they were given a commandment, and the commandment was that they were to bow down and to worship this image, this golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They did not. They disobeyed this commandment. They were civilly disobedient. They ended up being taken, and they were brought before the king, and they were interrogated, just like we saw with the apostles. And he asked them very clearly, he said, are you not willing to bow down to the image and he says, hey, I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to give you one more opportunity to bow down. And if you won't, you're going to be cast into the burning fiery furnace. You know what they do? They say, hey, our God whom we serve, you know, he can deliver us and he might deliver us. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't deliver us, we are not going to bow down to the image. What are they, what are they telling the king? We're going to disobey you. We are not going to obey your commandment. You know why? Because God has commanded us that we are to worship the Lord thy God only. God has commanded us that we're not to make unto us any graven image, nor are we to bow down unto it. So he says, no, we are not. and And they're face to face with the king of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of an empire. Nebuchadnezzar is, is, had a, a massive amount of power. He reigned over you know, much and reigned over you know, many different provinces. And he is, he's, he is standing there and commanding them that you are to bow down to my image. And I'll give you one more shot. You know what they say? We're not careful to answer the, on this matter. Do you know what that means? Carefuls is like, like whether you, you consider something or care about it. He's saying, I'm not worried I don't have to think about it. That's what they're saying. That's what they mean. I'm not worried about this, and I'm not gonna sit here and debate on this. I'll give you an answer right now. And you know what it was? No. We're not gonna bow down to your image. We're not gonna bow down to the image. We're gonna obey God. You know what they're saying? You know what the apostle says? We ought to obey God rather than man. Amen. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. And you say, well, maybe what they did what they did was wrong. What ends up happening? They're taken and they're thrown into a burning fiery furnace. You know what happens? God saves them out of it. Why? Because what they were doing was right. Over and over again, you know what we see? God's stamp of approval on civil disobedience. Now, not just in any case. Is it okay just to, you know, disobey your government? Just just because you feel like it, just because you want to be disobedient, just because you have. You know, just a a disobedient heart. No, that's not okay. And that's not what I'm teaching right now. But what I am trying to clear up for a lot of people is that there is a time to disobey government. There is a time when God wants us to disobey government. You know what it is? You know when that type of situation is? It's when we have to make a choice between obeying man or God. And every time, do you know we obey? We obey God rather than man. This happens again in Daniel chapter number six. Turn over there. If we were to just look at all of the different stories in the Bible, you'd, you'd start remembering a lot of them. You have Elijah as an example. He preached against and to the face of Ahab. He withstood stood him to the face and preached against Ahab and his wickedness. And God brought a famine and he, did, and he caused it not to rain. There was a drought that took place because of that. And Elijah went and preached against him. You know who else he preached against? Ahab's wife preached against Jezebel. He preached against his local government. John the Baptist, as soon as he shows up, he's preaching against the rulers. Those same rulers that took all the apostles, he's preaching against them immediately. You know, calling them serpents and vipers. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Immediately. John the Baptist ends up being taken by a government officer, by a governor, Herod, and he's put to death. Why? Because he was preaching against his sinfulness, preaching against his wickedness. And it's not this attitude, we just go along with everything that our government tells us to do. We just look up to all of government officers, they're all godly, and, and it, it comes from this misunderstanding that many of these pastors, you know, have, have just, you know, they, they've regurgitated from other people that anybody who is in a position of authority, God put them there and God wants them to be there. And furthermore, they're, they're a good person and they, they're doing God's will. That is ridiculous. is it God's will for all these babies to be aborted in the United States of America? You think God is the one that's pushing the pin on all these bills to, to fund Planned Parenthood, to murder all these babies? You are out of your mind if you think that it's God's will for all these, these wicked, evil officers, these congressmen and senators and all these people that are supporting and passing these bills to violate God's law, to kill innocent people. You're crazy. You know, uh, there's a phrase in the book of Hosea where God is rebuking the children of Israel because they're setting up kings that God didn't want. He tells them, you have set up kings, but not by me, saying you didn't go after my will. It wasn't, by by means of speaking to me and I put them there. It was of your own will, saying God didn't desire for them to be there. When the Antichrist comes, the Bible says that the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. The dragon, you know that is? The devil. There are certain rulers and officers that the devil puts them into power. And God doesn't want you just to go along with all of the devil's commandments. I mean, how outrageous can you possibly be? Why does that even need to be said? So there is a time to disobey man. It's when, when they are compelling you to disobey God. And oftentimes, wicked men will do so. Jeremiah was beaten for preaching against the king and all of the evils of his day. Just about. I want you to think about this. Who killed all the apostles and prophets? Jerusalem. Who? It wasn't the common people most of the time. You know who it was? It was the rulers and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know who it was? It was the government. That's who it was. It was, you know why? Because they didn't just, if, listen to me, if they never disobeyed their government, why were they killing them? Why was, why were they public enemy number number one to Jerusalem government? If they were just these perfectly, you know, just obedient citizens, these are men of God that were commanded to go preach the word of God. And all of them were killed by their government. Obviously not for just going along with all the laws. Do you know when they disobeyed was, was when they had to obey God rather than man. Look at Daniel chapter number 6. I want you to look with me at verse number 7. It says in verse number 7, All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute. And to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any God or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Verse 9, wherefore king Darius signed the writing and the decree. So he passes this law. It's now a commandment. I want you to look at verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did a four times. I want you to notice that there was a commandment that was passed. There was a law that was passed. The governor, the king signed a law and said, hey. What was it? 30 days? 30 days you're not allowed to pray to anybody but me. You're not allowed to ask a petition. That's what prayer is. It's ask. You're not allowed to ask a petition of anybody but me. That's what the king said. And I love how it says in the beginning of verse number 10, because I want you to notice what it makes sure to tell you. It says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed. It doesn't have to tell you that. It could have just said, now Daniel went into his house and he prayed as he did a four time. But you know what it makes sure to let you know? Daniel was aware of that law. Daniel was well aware that the king had commanded him not to pray. But do you know what he did anyways? He went into his house and he prayed anyways. He went into his house and he got down on his knees. It says three times a day, just as he always did, and prayed and gave thanks before his God. It says as he did aforetime. You know what Daniel did? He disobeyed his lo- local government. You know what he did? He was practicing civil disobedience. I want you to turn over. We'll look at one more example of the Old Testament. Go to Esther chapter number three, verse number two. Esther chapter number three, verse number two. The idea that there is never a time for a Christian to be or engage in civil disobedience is a load of garbage. It's hogwash. It's ridiculous. It's not what the Bible teaches. Men of God all throughout the Bible from Genesis to Revelation are always and very often disobeying their local government so that they can make sure, above all else, that they obey their, their God, that they obey the God of the Bible. And there's all these people out there that are literally telling you that you should never disobey government. You should never disobey government. And do you even read the Bible? Do you even pay attention to what you're reading? Like the Bible, God is going out of his way to tell you, Daniel is well aware of this. The Bible is, you know, it, he could have worded it in so many ways, but he for a purpose, wanted you to know that Daniel was aware of it. He could have left that out, but he says, and after Daniel knew that the commandment was passed, this is God telling you, he went in and he prayed anyways. So his government said, it would be like today, Jacksonville mayor saying, hey, you're not allowed to pray. You know what you did? You were like, I know about the commandment, but I'm going to pray to God anyways. I'm going to pray anyways. There's no difference. It's exactly the same. And let me give you another example. It would be like the Jacksonville mayor... Or the Florida governor saying, hey, you're not allowed to go to church. And you know what you would do anyways if you were like Daniel? You'd go to church anyways. You know why? Because it is a commandment to go to church. You'd have to make a decision there. You'd have to either. And that's what people think is they think that they're obeying God by just obeying man. And it's almost as if they think that like their local government is God. That's pretty convenient for the local government, isn't it? Don't you think that they would like for you just to be just this completely 100% obedient citizen? Of course they would. You know, they're trying to replace God. Of course they want to get rid of God in so many other ways, but they want their law. They just want to pass whatever law that they can and you not to have any disagreements with it. Well, in order for, you know, the United States citizens, the majority of them, in order to just go along with whatever law that our government passes, You'd have to cast out your religion. You'd have to get rid of your religion because that's where we would have a problem with it. But it would be like today if they said, hey, you can't go to church. You're not allowed to go to church three times a week. What if they said that? You're not allowed to go to church at all. Does this sound familiar? You know, For a while, we need to just suspend. We need to just suspend any sort of religious activity. You're not allowed to meet. You know what they're telling you? You know what they're trying to do? They're compelling you. Whether you understand it or not, you can have whatever excuse you want, whatever. They're compelling you to disobey the Lord. God says, forsake not. Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. That's a commandment not to forsake the assembly. That's a commandment to go to church. And if God says you must go to church and the government says don't go to church. I don't care what purpose or reason they tell you to do it. They're telling you to disobey God. And you know what you should say? We ought to obey God rather than men. That's what you should say. And it doesn't matter what subject we're talking about. You know what the answer should be? If there's a conflict, man says one thing, God says something else, and they conflict with one another. We ought to obey God rather than men. You should go with what God tells you to do. That's what great men in the Bible did. Over and over and over again, they disobeyed their government. They didn't give a flip what their government told them to do. They just, you know what he did? He knew about it. You know what he did? And he prayed anyways. If we were to read we were to pay attention, he has his windows open too. You know what that says? Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're not careful to answer thee. We're not worried about this. You think I'm scared? I'm going to obey God anyways. I'm going to obey the Lord anyways. I'm going to do what God wants me to do, regardless of whether, whether man wants to, you know, take me into captivity. He wants to, you know, take me into custody. Esther chapter number three, verse number two says this. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. So this is a commandment. You notice that? But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. What did Mordecai not do? He did not obey the commandment of the king. He disobeyed. He engaged in civil disobedience. He disobeyed his local government. Now, Mordecai, or I'm sorry, Haman was well aware of the reason why. He's like, hey, you know, it's not good to keep the Jews around because they have these laws that cause them not to keep our laws. So you know what uh, uh, Haman understood? There's a conflict between our laws and their laws. And, And some of the Jews, you know, they're not keeping our laws. They'd rather keep their laws. So we need to take this guy. We need to get rid of this guy. We should kill this guy. We should kill all these people. He wanted to get rid of Mordecai specifically, but the way he was going to do it was just get rid of all of them. You know what Mordecai did? He obeyed God rather than man. He didn't bow. You know why? Because he knew I'm not supposed to bow down to anybody but God. I'm not supposed to wor. I'm only supposed to worship the Lord God. I want you to go to the New Testament. Back to the New Testament. I'm going to end in Acts chapter number five. Acts chapter number 5. I do want to uh, deal with a couple of different things here. and We're not going to turn to these passages just for sake of time, but uh, I had some questions in the very beginning, and we've answered those questions kind of sporadically throughout this sermon. I'm going to read those questions off, off to you one more time. It says this, <clears throat> is there a time to disobey government? The answer, yes. We can see over and over again, we see God approving civil disobedience, God approving of the disobedience of government in some cases, the disobeying of government. Does God approve of disobedience ever? Yes. As we said, yes, he does. There are cases where God approves of civil disobedience. When? When you have to disobey your local government in order to obey God. When should we disobey government? Same answer. Only in the cases and the situations when we must disobey our government to obey God. I want to answer this last question. How should we disobey government? How should we disobey government? And we'll just deal with this very quickly because there's a lot of people out there. And obviously, and I, I went on a rant about it just the other day. But right now, people are, there's a lot of civil disobedience going on. So let's say this. There's probably been in, in, in widespread or mass groups more civil disobedience in the United States of America in the past three to four months than there has you know, been in I don't know how many years. There's been more civil disobedience just of late, and I don't know, I wouldn't even be able to, in a long time, I don't know when the last time there's been uproars and things that have been going on. There's been a lot of civil disobedience with the coronavirus, because there's been multiple additional, just draconian, just excessive laws that have been passed. Crazy laws, where where people are commanded not to go to church, and people go to church anyways. People are commanded not to do this, they're told not to do this, and people are doing it anyways. There's been a lot of civil disobedience going on. Is it all approved? That would be the question. And how do you disobey? It's not all okay. And and over the past 2 weeks because of the murder of George Floyd, there's been additional civil disobedience hasn't, hasn't there? A lot of civil disobedience. There's been much civil disobedience. And there's been a lot of things that have taken place in different, you know, two different people and different institutions that have been affected? Does God approve of all of that? And the answer is no. God doesn't just approve of all civil disobedience. The Bible is not this book that is just this anti-government you know, government type of book. It's not a book of anarchy. God believes in government and there should be government. And God doesn't want you to just disobey your government all the time. When we disobey our government is when we must in order to obey God. Now, Some of what's been going on lately is rioting and looting. Now, I'm not going to turn to these passages. We don't have time for it. But there are, in the New Testament, there are a few passages that condemn rioting specifically. Titus 1.6, 1 Peter 4.4, 2 Peter 2.13, and Romans 13.13. All of these verses condemn rioting. Rioting is not all right. Rioting is not okay. Not only that, within these riots... You're hearing these two words go together, rioting and looting. Rioting is just uproars where people are out of control, just tearing things apart, vandalizing. And of course, there's a lot of violence that's involved as well. God does not approve of violence. Only in the form of self-defense is it okay to harm another person when you are defending yourself. So if any reason, if for any reason you are harming another person, I don't care if you say that it's for a good cause. If you're not doing it to defend yourself, you've sinned against God. And what you're doing is not okay. I don't care if you're disobeying your government or not. It doesn't matter whether you are or aren't. Well, even if the government approved of it, it wouldn't matter. But right now, people, a lot of people are engaging in civil disobedience. You know what they're doing? They're rioting. It's condemned by the Bible. So it's not okay. This is not good, civil disobedience. Not only are they rioting, you know, they're, they are, they're harming people. They're, they're, they're harming innocent people. Supposedly it's helping something, you know, or they're, they're, they're doing it for a good cause and they're changing the world. And, and this is all for George, George Floyd to go down the street and just random people and beat the crap out of them. Just they're harming random people. And that's for a good cause. This is a protest where we're we're fighting for equal rights, right? Supposedly the fact that they're going down, Streets and they're just destroying random, you know, random uh, uh, stores and you know different stores department stores, all different types of stores. Grocery stores are just going up and they're just destroying it for George Floyd. You know, this is for this is all for George Floyd. They're going in and they're and they're stealing all different types. They're stealing televisions for George Floyd. You know, this is for George. We're doing this all in remembrance of George. R.I.P. George Floyd ridiculous. Right. It's an excuse is what it is. It's an excuse for these criminals to openly act like a criminal. That's what's going on in this situation. Right. They want to go out. You know what they have in their heart? Violence. And this is, a, this is a way where they can be violent and get away with it. That's what's going on. You know what they have in their heart? Covetousness. And this is a way for them to go into those stores and steal things that they looked at and they wanted already. Here's a time when they can get away with it. You know what they do? It has nothing to do with George Floyd. It has to do with the sinful you know, nature that's lying within their heart. All this, this, this sin that's in their heart that now they have the opportunity to act on it. You know, they, they, they have all this aggression and, as I said, violence that they're going out and acting on. You know, beating up an innocent person isn't helping a, a, a person that died by an unjust cause and by unjust hands. You know, I condemn... The, everything that took place with George Floyd, that was terrible. The guy was murdered. And that Derek Chauvin, I think is how you pronounce it, should be put to death. Right. He should be punished to the full extent of the law. And the other guys should be tried for standing there. Maybe some of them were trying to. I've heard that some of them were trying to like stop it and tell him to get off of him. Maybe they were. And don't try to say, oh, it's because of racism. All these guys are racist. It was a white guy that murdered him. There was an Asian guy that was there. There was a Hispanic guy that was there. And what was the other guys? White. He was white. And so there was two white guys, an Asian and a Hispanic. It's not racism. That's ridiculous. Right. You, know, you know what it was? There was, there was this, you know, uh, uh, this power-hungry weirdo that was a police officer. That's most likely what was going on. Right. I doubt very seriously. I bet if you watch that dude's body cams from the past year that he's treating white people like crap too. I guarantee it. Right. He don't care about that. That's not what's going on. It's just the guy is a weirdo, and he's sadistic, and he's he is a violent bad person. But you know what? By going out and committing more more violence, that's not fixing anything. You're just what you're doing is now you're you're hurting more people for no reason. Now I could say, oh, I'm going to go out because of the violence that you committed, and I'm going to do it again. You're adding sin unto sin. You know that's what people are doing. The riots and the looting—that's breaking God's law. So you know the only time when it's good to engage in civil disobedience, it's when you are disobeying man's law in order to obey God's law. So Acts chapter number five, this is what I want to focus on, because I want everybody to think about this. And I, and I, I preach these types of messages, and I, always, I give oftentimes these sort of conclusions, because it's very important to be prepared for something before it happens. Because you need to know what you should do, and you need to have your mind made up beforehand. Because if you do not have your mind made up already, and then the, you know, the, the situation approaches or presents itself in your life, you're, you're very often probably going to make the, the wrong decision. Because it's difficult to make the right decision oftentimes. So you have to in, embed it into your heart to do it and prepare your heart and get your heart ready because it's difficult. So there's preparation that has to go into it that you people that are that are that are in this building today people that live in the united states of america you're gonna have to make some choices in the coming decades i'm sure of it or in the coming decade if there's you know more time than that but in your lifetime you're gonna have to make some choices like shadrach meshach and abednego made you will just mark my words you're gonna have to make some choices like the apostles made you're gonna have to make some choices like elijah like john the baptist like jeremiah you're going to have to make some choices like Peter, like all of these people did, like Mordecai. You know what they had? They had their government telling them, you are not allowed to do this. When God said, thou shalt not bow down to any graven image. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, nor bow, thy, nor bow thyself down to them. You know what they said? They said, I'm obeying God rather than men. You're going to have to make a choice like that in your lifetime. Whatever it may be, church, reading the Bible, preaching the gospel, going door to door, handing out maybe certain literature. It'll just be baby steps. So they'll just be condemning this. They'll be condemning that. They'll be condemning this. They'll be condemning that. Maybe prayer. You have no idea where this will go. You have no clue what route, what angle this will go down, but it's, it is inevitable that you in your lifetime will have to engage in civil disobedience. You know what you're gonna have to do? You're gonna have to obey God rather than men. And it doesn't matter how many times you go to jail. It doesn't matter how many things happen. We know what we need to do in the end. Just keep obeying the Lord. Why don't you look at the end of Acts chapter number 5. So this is after, like we saw in verse 29, it says, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. They go on and speak to them. You know, it says, verse 33, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. And then as we read, Gamaliel rises up, and you know, he mentions Thutis and everything that took place with him, and they're like, just let him go. Look at verse 40. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles, watch this, and beaten them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they gave him another commandment. This is the, like, the third time where they've commanded him. They've been arrested already before, you know, for this particular offense. So they're a repeat offender now. I want you to notice what it says. So they beat him, they commanded him, they sent him forth, they let him go. Verse 41, and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And that's what we should do. We should, we should look forward to these opportunities to stand up for. And it's exciting to be able to stand up for the word of God. But look at verse 42. And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach. And preach Jesus Christ. You know what it explains? They kept disobeying their government. They kept defying the commandments of their government. They didn't stop. They never bowed. They never just became weak and just gave up. They stood their ground. And right now, there's a lot of people that have already shown their true colors of what they're going to do. There's a lot of people that have shown their true colors of... And you know, thankfully, some people started to wise up like, you know what? We're going back to church. You know what? We took off for a little while, but we're going back to church. A lot of people even said, hey, you know, it was a bad decision to stop church in the first place. It's a commandment to go to church. It's a commandment to read your Bible. There's many commandments in God's word and in the Bible. You know what we need to do? We need to obey God rather than men. We need to be prepared. You know, there's the mark of the beast coming. Obviously, we don't need to worry about that particularly, but if you think it's just going to be the mark of the beast that you're going to have to try to, you know, stay away from... Obviously, you're not going to hear the voice of the shepherd, but my point is there's going to be a lot, a lot of other commandments at that same time. They're going to be trying to prevent you from keep, keep, keeping God's law. You know what you need to do? Obey God rather than man. Uh, engage in civil disobedience. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, dear Lord, for all of the great examples of the strong men that stood for the faith in the face of the commandment of the king of the commandment of the rulers of the people. Uh, they defied Nebuchadnezzar. They defied all of the commandments of, of man in order to obey your word. We thank you so much for these examples. We thank you, dear Lord, for making it clear where you stand. when There's so much confusion out there when man is just basically telling us to line up for the mark of the beast. and you know, that, that every person in power, I guess even the Antichrist, is put there by your will. We thank you for the, the, how it's not confusing, but that there's clarity in the Word of God and we can go to and we can see when to obey and when to disobey our government. And we pray, dear God, just like the apostles prayed that you would give everyone here great boldness, much boldness, and prepare us and prepare our hearts and give us the Holy Spirit so we can be ready to uh, uh, engage in civil disobedience when we need to, in order to obey your word. We thank you so much for everything you've done for us, and and please endow us with boldness, and bless our church, bless everyone that's here, and uh, those that are not, and we love you, and in Jesus Christ's name, amen.